This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You dirty animal! in the danger zone! Oh my... Caller, we're not taking calls just quite yet. Is this a human talking? Because you sound like a robot. I am. I'm kind of like a robot. I, I'm not. I wouldn't be mad if you sounded like a robot. I would think that was incredible. Uh, I can go for over a thousand dollars a pound. That's you was be- really being ripped off. I can get you that much. Well, it, 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 not necessarily. My name is Michael, Master of Ceremonies, bringing you the truth, no matter how bad it hurts. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. You can normally find this show on Saturday nights at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, live on the TuneIn Radio app. You can always search End of Days right there on your app, and that's where you'll find this program... Remember, if you do plan to give us a call, go to a quiet location, turn off whatever device you are using to listen to this. The number for those brave souls out there, 760-332-8724. Let's hear those sweet little voices, 760-332-8947, or 760-332-8724, if you have Skype. Go ahead and add me, end of day's mic with the letter Y, not the letter I. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Joining me today on a very special edition of End of Days, the Michael Deacon program, Ryan Gable is joining me here live. Ryan is a film school graduate with a bachelor's of science degree in film and audio production. He is a five-year-plus radio host, producer, manager, writer, editor, 
and promotions director for his radio show, The Secret Teachings. Ryan is also an author and has written for Alternative Health and Paranormal magazines. Although once the articles were complete, the magazine publishers refused to publish the work because of its content. Some attempt censorship, but this fails due to Ryan's strict adherence to telling things the way they are. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here I finally am again, not on a night like this. So once again, thank you for being here on this very special weekday edition of End of Days. I am your host, and it's Tuesday afternoon here, and I am live. Here we are together again like a nice, big, happy, dysfunctional family. I'm sure some of you are wondering what's going on. For those who are green, please understand that at times certain guests can't always be here on a Saturday night. I'm also thinking about the next time I plan to do a show on a weekday. Maybe I'll be aiming for 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's another possibility. We will see what people think of these new formats as we continue forward. Thank you to those who are tuned in right now. And of course, those who come in and out of the chat room, that's always fun. I wasn't on last Saturday. I was away running errands, as all of you know. But here I am. And I believe it's almost time now to bring in Ryan, who is patiently awaiting. Let's see what's going on here. Give him a call here, folks. Bear with me. Hello. There you are. What's going on, Ryan? Hey there, Michael. How are you? I'm doing good. I was looking at your photo there of the album cover of Ghost. Yeah, I love Ghost. Ghost is one of my favorite bands. That's a good band, by the way. Yeah, I got to see them live a few times. Have you ever seen them perform? I actually have never gotten the chance to, but I know I I um I think they might have come out to San Diego. I think that's the closest they've been to where I am, and I missed the show. Uh, I, I I've luckily got to go to two of them. They came very close to where I am here in Boise, and then another one in the Orlando. Uh, it's, it's great because d- between the songs, the uh, lead singer typically talks about religious philosophy. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. So it's pretty pretty uh, informative as well as entertaining. Who did they play with? By were they just by themselves or any opening bands? When they played in Boise, they played uh, with a with a relatively famous band called Person, I believe was the name of the band, which is named after a, an old demon. Very cool. And this was how long ago? Uh, this was about a, I don't know. I say about a year ago. About a year ago, I, th- I think it was. It's time seems to pass so fast whether you pay attention to it or not i can't recall exactly true that's a pretty interesting band though just just how they structure themselves as a band it's pretty interesting yeah the four different elements and uh, i actually got a guitar pick from one of the guitar players and i think it has the uh, the element of fire on the back of it the uh, the triangle and of course the uh, lead singer being the fifth element and it's a very very interesting use of symbolism and mythology to incorporate into a band again yeah. a lot of a lot of mm-hmm. information that can be distributed through entertainment yeah i like the way they keep very anonymous too yeah that's another interesting thing it's difficult to really get in contact with any of them i've tried to do that for my radio broadcast oh and nice it's, it's been difficult i have i've not gotten a response back from from any of them yeah they keep quiet on on all sorts of things it's interesting i, I always found them pretty different from most bands out there mm-hmm did you design your 
photograph for Skype? Oh, the one you're looking at now? No, that's from an artist in South Africa who, actually, that's a rough draft of what the logo is going to look like. Oh, that's pretty cool. I think it's pretty amazing. You got a you got a whole show of symbolism there, at least oh, at least from my perception. There's a there's a lot, sure. There's lots of codes in this program intentionally put there. But Ryan, I, I do want to ask, how are you, by the way? Are you doing good? I'd say I'm doing relatively good. I like to use the word relatively. Once once you find it, uh, well, most of us find it a bit difficult to recognize ourselves as being sane when sanity is deemed insanity but sure. knowing that you are actually of sound mind and you see the inversion of in society you realize others that call you insane are actually insane themselves you see the inversion you realize that just to be consciously aware of these things uh you're always doing quite well true it could be it could be worse it it could be worse you could be entirely entirely a it's a cliche to say this i believe but you could be t- entirely asleep, entirely unaware and unconscious of what's happening and be subject to the to the will of others, both in corporations and in government and just those that take advantage of you in society through even small businesses and companies that use deceptive labeling and advertising on their products or different variety of uh, deceptive tactics of this nature. Indeed. So, Ryan, what exactly were you doing before you even got on this program? Well, this goes back quite a few years. I started getting interested in TV as a child because I I had a bit of an abusive upbringing. So I watched TV shows abusive like abusive upbringing. Yeah, yeah. I had a I had a I had a, what you would call a biological father who was very physically and mentally abusive. Oh, and, I'm sorry to hear that. I I know what that's like. Well, not personally, but I I, I have many friends. Yeah, it's very obviously very common. A lot of people go through these uh, experiences. Um, for one reason or another, and I had a lot of money in my family, and that kind of tore people apart. So I oh, yeah. navigated, navigated towards an entertainment uh, venue, and I found it in television. Wanted to get involved in TV writing, so I, after graduating high school, I went to a film school in Orlando, and I made I made some friends in class, just just a handful, because at the time I was reading uh, science fiction books, and I was reading books on astronomy, and I taught myself a bit of physics, and I got interested in kind of like a modern mainstream science. And so that prompted me to move into a realm of almost metaphysics. And some people that I knew at the time, one girl in particular, uh, she and her boyfriend had an extra place to stay. So they invited me to move in when I was having some money trouble. And she said, you know, you, you're interested in all of these bizarro type subjects, these strange subjects to many people. Yeah, but Ryan, were you always into these subjects, even in your adolescence? Well, not not necessarily, and, and I'm trying to explain the progression oh, because. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's okay. It, it, it's just it's a long story, and I tend to preface. No problem. Yeah, want to hear it? But she uh, she invited me to talk to this other guy she knew who was also interested in these subjects, and um, to clarify, I, I guess over time I went through reading science fiction, getting involved in metaphysics, and just having a general curiosity for how things worked led me to the work of several authors and researchers whose books I purchased and read. And uh, through that involvement of these subjects and meeting, meeting a couple of people and introducing me to others who were interested in these topics, I was introduced to a friend of mine who has uh, since passed away, and he had a radio show. And he invited me to come back on to the radio show after we initially met. And through that process, 
We uh, developed a relationship. I developed a, a know-how in terms of radio production. Once he passed away, I took over the radio. I developed it into and refined it into what it is today, renamed it. Now, The Secret Teachings, after the philosopher Manly P. Hall's book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages. And from that point on, from about five, six years ago, I've immersed myself in the content of so many different subjects. I think I've surpassed the 10,000 hours to make me an expert at at many uh, various topics. But that is a very brief backstory. And growing up, you never experienced anything like sleep paralysis or saw weird lights in the sky, nothing like that? I did, as a matter of fact, nothing to do with uh, so-called strange lights, but even acknowledging that I've experienced this does not necessarily mean for me that it had any contribution to the path that I took that led me to where I am. Mm -hmm. Um, It it, it just allowed me to look back and realize, whoa, I've read other people's experiences, and when I think about it, I've had this experience. I have had the sleep paralysis on two or three occasions. Terrifying. Have you ever had this? Of course. Old hag syndrome. It's yes, the very, it's very frightening when you're growing up and you don't know what the hell that is. Yeah, it it, it is. And I think the uh, first time I had it was probably, I'd say, ninth grade, ninth or tenth grade. So I was maybe, what, 14, 15 years old. Uh-huh. I, I remember I couldn't I couldn't move. I couldn't scream. And I remember laying in a way where I could see the clock. And it seemed like I laid there for hours. And yet it stayed the same time. And. For whatever sleep paralysis may be, it could be that waking state between the actual paralysis of sleep and becoming conscious. There's other situations which, whether you call it sleep paralysis or old Hag syndrome, that are a bit different. And, I, and I've had some that that are more conscious where I've been attempting to fall asleep. And I say attempting because I've always had trouble sleeping. Uh, my mind works too quickly and I think of too much. I have trouble shutting it off. Do you have anxiety? He has a bit of anxiety. You can mm-hmm. probably hear it in my voice. I understand. I, yeah, I, I was the same way for a long time, and I still can't sleep at night at times. Dude, is it just too much on your mind? Yeah, it, it's hard to shut off. It, it is. It is. You know, you find that there's methods by which you can numb yourself, and it doesn't necessarily have to be drugs or alcohol, but forms of entertainment. Sure, and you strike me as someone who is kind of on the same wavelength as myself in terms that we're both not oblivious to what's going on around us. So um, lots of people, I'm sure you're, you've seen this yourself, lots of people walk around oblivious out there, almost like the lights are on and no one's home. And um, these people are kind of, kind of brainwashed to a certain degree. They're like drones. Yeah, drone drones would be an appropriate word to apply. Um, you know, I I always think of the movie Men in Black with Will Smith, and I and I, and I believe it was uh, trying to think of the exact quote: "Human beings are smart, but people are stupid." And when when you're in a group mentality, right. you, you tend to do what 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 other people want to do, or what you perceive as sane or of sound mind. Because when you know human beings are social creatures, so when we're in a social situation. We want to be accepted. We don't want to be rejected, and we have fear of rejection. And I think that alone, whether it's been hijacked or it's a byproduct of what we call technological progression, has been used to bring in what we call social media. And through that social media, through online dating, we can experience a social environment, or at least what we call a social environment, without fear of rejection, essentially, because if somebody disagrees with you on Facebook or 
tweet something you don't like, you can block them very easily. It's more difficult to deal with that confrontation in person. It's easier also to deal with the possibility of rejection if you're trying to find a date by dating online as opposed to finding somebody out in an actual social situation. And so because of our fear of rejection, we migrate to these so-called social platforms, which is creating a great divide uh, in society and in communication in general, where we've even seen language uh, be, I, I mean, I, I think it's, I don't know what you think, but language has has deteriorated over just the last decade, let alone the last 50 or 60 years. What do you think about that? I think you're right. I think I see more people looking at their phones than they're looking in front of themselves, to be honest. Yeah, that's actually a uh, an, an addiction. I forget there's a technical name for it, but there's a... Um, a more commonly used terminology. It's just called screen addiction. Uh, I, I was just talking about this on a recent episode think, of my show. I think it's real. It, it is. It is. There's actually a condition. If you look up uh, Washington Post text neck, texting text neck. Yeah. You find that people are beginning to uh, form this condition where their head, as it's tilted down, puts such a, a pressure, right? Pressure on the yeah. spine. Yeah. It, I read something about that. Pressure. Sure. Yeah, and, and children are being born uh, with with a predisposition, a, a an addiction to technology where they're unable to even understand what toy blocks are. I was just reading a London Telegraph. Really? Yeah. Oh, uh, my. There's a, there's, a, there's a huge, huge issue with kids being born unable to even – they don't even understand what books are. They, they only understand how to use these digital devices and screens. Wow. Well – that's the age we're living in. And going back to the whole online dating thing, I've talked about this plenty of times. What's your opinion on that? Do you think it's good or bad? I would suggest that technology in and of itself is, is I wouldn't even say benign, but technology in and of itself is just technology. It is what it is, as some say. If you utilize certain forms of technology or an understanding of how people operate and function for intentions that are selfish per se. Maybe it's for advertising business, take advantage of people's uh, lack of conscious awareness so you can take money from them. Right. Then you have a, have a form of uh, technology or a form of device or a platform for which might be considered bad or negative and, in other senses, you have those that really are socially socially distraught and socially disconnected. Many people that have anxiety. I used to be very much like this. I'm, I'm not reserved anymore. But where they look at maybe social dating uh, in public as something that they just can't do. Uh, autistic children uh, are a good example of this, especially uh, those that are uh, maybe fully functioning, but they still have a bit of what's considered autism or Asperger's. Sure. And so mm-hmm. so it, it's a good thing for people like that. And, and I've experienced that too. But for others, when it becomes so widespread and so used in the capacity it is, I think it causes a problem. There has to be a balancing point. Yeah. And what about Tinder? I mean, uh, well, people just use this to hook up. Yeah. And not uh, really, that's... you know, find like a quote unquote soulmate or something, you know? You know what it seems like to me, Michael, is that Mm -hmm. there's this shift towards what I have termed the technological elixir. And if you look back into history, scientists or what we might refer to as alchemists have looked for uh, some type of chemical synthesis, some type of 
technology at the time, but using metals and and uh, using maybe oils and different methods by which to distill an elixir that would allow them to obtain everlasting life. And modern scientists would scoff at the notion of immortality, but we're using technology to find immortality. We're using technology to promise mankind that by through Google and Ray Kurzweil, the engineer, one of the big engineers at Google and some of these other companies and even billionaires that don't own companies, they have their own initiatives to upload, as they say, the human mind into a computer to replace the body with avatars. We're moving towards a, a time when technology is supposed to offer us this this superior form of existence, and we are no longer to be considered inferior. We are no longer considered to have what they call junk DNA. We're moving into a world where it seems to be the technology is now uh, the material reality for which will trap us in this illusion of belief that by connecting with the technology and selling our only true form of immortality in the spirit, the emotional center, the soul, the divine essence of what makes us human, we will obtain some type of immortality for all time. But it's a very finite form of time. So we're going to have to realize at some point that this technological elixir of immortality is not one in which will provide us with everlasting life spiritually. It will allow us to experience a very mundane corporeal life for an extended period of time and then perhaps we will have to deal with the consequences of our actions and recognize what has happened or at least ask the question what has happened to the soul the spirit the moral integrity of human beings as individuals and a collective species and i think that alone to answer your question is the overall theme for which connects all of these social platforms the tenders the dating because what it does is it eradicates sexuality, it eradicates social interactions, it eradicates language. You know, we've seen, and I'll digress in a moment, but we've seen in Japan where men and women are no longer interested in sex overall. Correct. Uh, yes. You've seen that study? Yeah, and I was just about to get into that because I know on a on an episode that you did recently, I, I think you were even talking about sex dolls. And right out the gate, I'm going to have to talk to you about that because there are various companies and mostly in japan and china and um it's um, getting kind of getting kind of uh complex now they're 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 building these elaborate dolls now and there's a guy out in switzerland um who's planning to open a fellatio cafe apparently based off of the bars in thailand i read that i did read that it was on a C- cnbc article i it saw sure was yeah oh my god so this is what's coming to america correct yeah, it's already in America. We've seen uh, virtual reality porn conferences. Uh, we've seen the, uh, which is a bit different than the sex robots. But yes, we've yeah, seen this. Yeah, I guess they're trying to implement some sort of AI now, too, in, in these robots. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So if you look at the study in Japan that was done by a like a family planning insurance, there had been a couple of them, I believe. You find that men and women are not really interested in sex. Is you that look at wild? The, it is, it is. And you look at a UK study, uh, that was produced a, a few months back, published in a publication called Sputnik News, and they showed how, I think the study was published, uh, in that news outlet, but it was a company called Comres, and they showed that most, 
Uh, most young adults in the UK would rather date a robot if it was programmed to their liking. Did, did you hear about this one? I, yes, I did. That's that's also something I was going to bring up. That's so that, that's insane. It is insane. It's insane it's, to it, me because by definition, insanity is is not being of sound mind. And and I think that anybody that actually believes this. They see it as trendy. They see it as a convenience. But the one thing that really gets me, Michael, is when they suggest that the technology is going to be developed in a way where it will allow us to program these devices to our liking so we never have an argument or we never have a disagreement. It's arguments and disagreements as much as we we might not fully understand what they are. We typically see an argument as a bad thing. But debates, whether they're in a relationship or in an educational environment, I've said that if you're in an educational environment and you can't disagree with the professor, that's not education, that's indoctrination, whether or not your point is valid or it's just a perception that is a bit erroneous or fallacious. Hey, well, um, Ryan, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but I, I forgot to mention, I, I did reach out to a website called realdoll.com and asked for uh, an interview with one of their media representatives and they have granted me the access, except they want sort of really? a, a synapse of what I'm going to talk to them about. If you want to join me for that conversation, um, you're more than invited to. I would be very open to that. You'll just have to let me know when it is and we can set it up. Sure. Yeah, that'd be cool to have you here during that conversation. Because I think also um, both of us both going in here talking to this person would probably be pretty um, beneficial for all. Yeah, they probably want to know how you're going to promote their exactly. Their yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not trying to attack them or anything or make them feel bad about what they do. That's definitely sure, not what sure. I'm trying to do at all. I, I just find it fascinating that this is kind of what what's coming to or what is already here and now. The, the future is now, obviously, and this is one of those things that I think is something we should talk about because. Um, obviously, we're probably going to start seeing things like or, or hearing things like, oh, um, he started sleeping with a doll now, so I'm going to break up with him. Yeah, those those have been some of the discussions that have come out of some of these companies. As a matter of fact, I, I've read some of these uh, and, they, and they talk about how the robots are programmed with with, uh, you know, what you like and what you dislike, both in a relationship and, of course, sexually. Uh, but. Just like the social media, since we're so disconnected and we're so fear, uh, fearful of rejection, which is a deep psychological reason we, we migrate to these platforms, when we introduce robots into the equation, there's this idea that, yes, they can be programmed and coded to our liking, but there's a company called Hanson Robotics. You may have seen this robot interviewed on Charlie Rose. Remember when... Uh, the robot said, okay, I will kill oh, all yeah. humans. That was, that was kind of creepy. It, it, it was creepy. And so what the company did, if you pay attention, is they changed the name of the robot. It was Sophia, spelled S-O-P-H-I-A, to S-O-F-I-A. And there was another release of an updated version of this robot where the programmer said that this robot can learn and can grow and can perform tasks. But this robot will also have the ability to reprogram itself. So if you were just to take that notion mm. for a moment and apply that to military technology, apply it to love bots and sex bots, we're talking about an artificial form of intelligence 
that is connected to what others call the IoT, the Internet of Things, all of your smart devices, your yeah. car, your house. And it has access to everything, but it can reprogram itself. So if you program a, a, a weapon of death, a drone with weapons, some type of weapon system to make decisions upon whether somebody dies or somebody lives and not to hurt a specific faction of humans, not to, uh, you know, shoot a particular, uh, type of, uh, drone that might be a, uh, a U.S. drone, let's say, instead of an enemy drone or an enemy, uh, an enemy convoy or whatever the case is, this drone can learn and grow and reprogram itself to basically make its own decisions and do whatever it wants outside of the programming of what the programmers originally intended in the same way that the sex robots might be, uh, might be reprogrammed and reprogram themselves in a, in a similar capacity. And in fact, that was actually discussed by the programmers themselves who said the robots that you get to clean your house might eventually learn to just sweep the dust under the rug. Jeez. So, I mean, it's being acknowledged by the companies that are developing it, and uh, that's they're acknowledging it and saying, yes, it can reprogram itself, but there's nothing to worry about. The benefits are too numerous. I guess we're going to be hearing headline stories of celebrities getting caught with these things. With the sex robots. Yeah, yeah. and the wife is going to be trying to kill them. I read an article a day or two ago about that, as a matter of fact, and it was suggesting that sex robots could allow couples to explore three-way sexual experiences oh without the jealousy. Yeah, oh, my goodness. Th- that's kind of opening a, a can of worms already. Yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a very, uh, well, we'll use the word good. I don't think it's a very good idea. You know, this, the technology is becoming so, uh, so advanced and so lifelike sure. that you won't even be able to tell the difference eventually between an, an android and an actual organic human being. Yeah, it's um, it's a pretty complex situation that we are dealing with now. And um, what what are your thoughts on transhumanism? And I think I kind of already know. And I could see both positives and negatives in this. And of course, I I also see the fact that. We can potentially end all human diseases, probably. And, of course, some will argue that you shouldn't be playing God. Sure. I I don't like to take up uh, the argument of playing God or the argument of we're going to cure all diseases and make the world uh, a better place. No, we don't really know for sure. No, we don't. But we have seen a a, a bit of the consequences of these actions already, as I related to you about the social changes and Mm -hmm. um, when when you look at transhumanism, I'll, I'll, I'll attempt to uh, I'll attempt to explain this in a, in, a, in a simple way here. Uh, not simple in terms of content, but simple in terms of the length of the explanation. Sure. Trans, transhumanism is a is a belief. Uh, it used to be considered a theory, but now it's a it's it's a real uh, agenda that humanity can evolve beyond its physical state, uh, beyond what we consider mental limitations. By means of science and by means of technology. And if we apply that to the societal changes that have taken place in recent years, just since smartphones became prominently used and distributed back in 2004 or 5, 2006, that's a decade till 2016, we've seen a fundamental transformation of society. And that fundamental transformation of society is something that we were told would not happen in technological terms until about 2040, 2050, when the singularity would be reached, where 
this advancement of technology and artificial intelligence would lead to a point where humanity undergoes a dramatic, irreversible, and fundamental change. We've seen that in less than a decade. If we apply Moore's Law, that the computing power doubles every year or two, we're going to see that same fundamental transformation by 2020, by 2025, and by 2030, it doubles, it quadruples. The technology becomes that much more intelligent, sentient, and powerful. And so I put together a series of, of, of ranks, if you will, that kind of show how this progresses. And, and it's a very brief, uh, but if we apply this knowledge to our phones and tablets and handheld devices, we see just that. We see handheld devices that get us comfortable with the idea of, of technological progression. It's seen as convenient. It's seen as entertainment. It's seen as a necessity to communicate with others. Once we become accustomed to that, then we introduce the wearable technology. That's the Bluetooth, the Fitbit, the smart glasses, the smart watches that can even turn your skin into a touchpad, which then becomes a form of cybernetics where we have bio stamps and bio tattoos, skin tracking technology. And this is considered, as I call it, the fusible technology. The next step the fourth step out of the five steps is the implantable technology, the microchips, the nanobots. Right. This is where we get Morgellons disease, the hollow tube fibers that are in the environment, these devices that can self-replicate. They can create circuits. They can uh, what's called molecular engineering. And then the final stage, and I'd actually like to get your take on this, too, because you're very much interested in the subject and, and, and know a bit about it. The fifth part is a replacing of organic life with synthetic life. And we've seen this through biohybrid technology. We've seen artificial lungs, artificial brains, artificial stingrays, artificial jellyfish, artificial robots of all types that are merged as a hybrid with nature and animal life. What do you think about that? Well, we're living in really very advanced times now. There's ears and noses being grown from stem cells and yeah. labs everywhere. I, I think it's it's uh, well. Here's the thing. I don't I don't exactly see it as a bad thing, and I, it's hard to say because these kind of things, these sort of these sort of um, creations from a lab, I think these are helping lots of people out. Lots of people who lost these things due to cancer or due to something, maybe, um, there, wasn't there some other case of some guy that was paralyzed? Yep, that's, that's one of the, uh, the, the altruistic stories that's promoted that the people with spinal cord injuries, and I talk about it too, can have their, uh, impaired body parts, uh, begin to function again. They can bypass the central nervous system through this technology, yes. Was that a real story or was that fake news, (laughs) quote-unquote? No, no, that was a real... There's been been handfuls of those stories over the years, and and that's that's typically how the technology is promoted. They promote it through these altruistic means that by putting a microchip in your brain, you will have the ability, if you are paralyzed, to regain access to parts of your body. It can help to bypass the central nervous system and directly communicate uh, with other nerves in the body that might have been severed. So that's that's the altruistic approach. Other companies propose that we'll put nanobites, or nanobites, excuse me, nano, nanites into the body, uh, nanobots to fight cancer cells. Sure. And so so the, the the question really becomes to me, Michael, is. If we're going to introduce all of this into an environment and into the body and 
handheld, wearable, fusible, implantable technology, eventually replacing the human body with synthetic life, replacing all organic life. Are we looking at the reasons for which we are introducing this technology to cure cancer? What are the reasons for cancer? Why can't cancer supposedly be cured? We're looking for these quote, advanced forms of technology to attack cancer cells, but we're not looking at the root cause of, well, why do we have cancer? We're looking at microchips to heal Alzheimer's, but we're not looking at the reason for which we get Alzheimer's. And a life, lot of life causes cancer. Life, in, 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 in a literal way, yes, stress and anxiety of life leads to a debilitation of the immune system. <laughs> Pretty much. Cancer. Right. It's insane. Even the sun gives us cancer. They tell us the sun gives us cancer. The sun allows our RNA and DNA to communicate with each other so it knows how to replicate cells. And if we don't get enough UV light, then we have irregular cell division and thus a cancerous tumor develops, which is why some doctors use sunlight as a method to cure cancer. So we're not looking at those reasons for which we are developing cancer, Alzheimer's, autism, etc. at a rapid rate and yet claiming to be at the forefront of modern medicine and science. When we see these rates of heart disease and diabetes and cancer, Alzheimer's, metabolic disorders, etc., 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 skyrocketing off the charts never before seen, and we look at the technology, the EMF radiation, the radio frequencies that we're implementing under the guise of safety, protection, and Making sure that we're, we're, we're going to, uh, move into a new age of technological development where everybody's healthy and happy and safe and entertained and everything's convenient. It's actually having a reverse effect where it's causing illness. It's causing sickness, both of the physical body and the emotional and mental states, I believe. I think you're right. And I also uh, forgot to ask you, what do you think about cloning? It seems like Europe has banned animal cloning, but not human cloning. Yeah, there, uh, the details of cloning are very, uh, it seems, uh, very obscure because they can use, they can use animal or in reverse of that animal, uh, by name or physically use an animal to categorize uh, a human being being cloned on. For example, uh, I interviewed a woman on my show named Cynthia Brewer who was one of the women that was used in the human genome project. Oh, really? And, yeah, and and for whatever it's worth, uh, she had some documentation to back up what she's saying. She knows quite a bit about it. She claims that she was the original Dolly the sheep that was cloned, and they just used a sheep as as an image oh, okay. to, to classify a form of human cloning. So with cloning, you know, I, I, I don't know. Let me ask you, though, what, what exactly do you mean by cloning? Do you mean just replicating a physical body, or do you mean something else? Yeah, just replicating the human body. So in that case, I, I, I would I would take it another step, and, and I would suggest this, and I'd love to hear your take on this as well. When you look at uh, Google Voice and Siri and these mild forms of artificial intelligence that you communicate with, your digital assistants like Cortana, and when you speak, this device records everything that you're saying, and that's according to Google and the companies, and they store all this information. Uh, also, when you have these databases of uh, social media platforms like Pinterest or um, you have these photo sharing programs where you just take pictures and share them in social media, pictures, photographs, facial recognition, all of this is now in a database. Uh, companies like Facebook and Amazon, Amazon in particular, have applied a technology called intention tracking. It's called FAST, F-A-S-T, where they can track your heartbeat 
They can track your blood pressure, basically. They can track everything about your body by looking in your eyes and looking and uh, seeing where you put your cursor on the computer screen. And this is where we get the uh, the information about Amazon being able to ship you a package before you order it. So if you combine all that together, plus the spying by security agencies and even corporations to sell that data through your smart technology, your phones, your TV, your cars, uh, videos, and audio devices, you find that there's an accumulation of of everything about you, a pattern of everything you've ever done and everything you might do, which, again, is the intention or what we would call pre-crime. I believe that if you take that that information, you can literally apply that to almost an avatar. And, and even with now these these biostamp tattoos for the skin, they track your facial features and how your body actually moves how your skin moves when you talk for each individual you can apply that to a synthetic life form and create an android i believe and i think that perhaps is is the end goal of cloning yeah i think we're heading towards that i I definitely feel that maybe one day we'll be able to basically download our or upload our consciousness into some sort of robotic body I, i think that's happening so, so you say consciousness, but do, do you do you think it's actually consciousness, the mind, or do you think it's just the brain? I think it just might be the brain. I, I think that's a bigger red flag because the brain, uh, as modern science professes, consciousness comes out of the brain. All, all the esoteric traditions profess that the brain and matter come out of mind and therefore mind over matter. They suggest that they're uploading the mind and consciousness to these machines, but they're actually uploading the brain. So my question always is what happens to to the mind? What happens to consciousness when you connect all the tangible material features of a human being into a computer? Consciousness has to go somewhere. Perhaps it gets trapped. Well, we don't really know for sure yet, do we? Unless we unless we, you know, actually see this in modern technology. I, I don't think we do know yet. And, 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 and for that matter, I don't think scientists that are working on this technology truly understand it. I mean, I've suggested things that for some would be even for those that listen to shows like this would, would think it's very outlandish. Well, the I've brain suggested. is, the brain is so complex too. It's hard to fix. It's impossible to fix once it's uh, damaged. Yeah. And see, see, I would suggest two things. One, you have uh, these old ideas of demon possession, or now we have this idea of aliens possessing politicians and people of this nature. Sure. Perhaps they're controlled by nanotechnology, and there's this artificial intelligence that's actually in control and ushering in this new age because it can't directly affect human beings. It can't strip our willpower from us. We have to willingly give in, and so through these conveniences, we are, in, in, in a way, we're just simply clicking accept the terms and conditions without reading that our soul is going to be sold in the process for this physical what we call immortality uh but when you say the brain can't be fixed i'd agree with you because i'm not in this field of um of of study in terms of research and application but i would suggest that if we look at the brain if we look at dna You've you've probably heard many times that scientists call our DNA junk a certain percentage, right? Right. Mm-hmm. They try to say that that was probably um, added in there by some sort of manipulation per per se. <laughs> manipulation would be a be a key word because if you train people to believe that ninety seven percent or more of their DNA is junk and that ninety plus percent of their brain is useless. Well, people begin to perceive reality through those filters and 
so then the question becomes, why would we progress technologically to this new form of human evolution, this new what we call advancements and enhancements, when we have the ability to do that already, when we can access more than 10% of our brain, when we can access more than 3% of our DNA. So what this transhumanist agenda, I call it, seems to want to do, whether it's run through sentient artificial intelligence or through the goodwill and good intentions of corporations and, and technocrats, is they want to eliminate that other 90% of the brain, upload the 10% into a computer, essentially, and they call it mind, although it's brain, it's different, and they want to, and scientists have already done this in a lab just recently, where they have extracted the 3% of DNA that makes us what we perceive to be human, suggested that there doesn't seem to be any implications of 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 uh, deterioration. So we're going to take this 3% DNA, forget about the other 97% that we, quote, don't understand, and it's, quote, junk, and we're going to take that and apply it to synthetic life creation. So what they're doing is eliminating the natural, organic avenues to evolution through DNA and through the brain. They're pushing them to the side, locking them away, and then offering us what we perceive as advancement and immortality through machines. And, and I don't believe that this is going to be superior uh, superior type thinking. This is not going to be a superior way of life. It's going to be a vastly inferior way of life where everything is controlled and monitored. Yeah, that wouldn't be good if that's exactly what would uh, end up happening to society if we end up being controlled. And uh, speaking of control... What's your opinion on Donald Trump, our new president? Uh, fundamentally, overall, what, what exactly? Just just my, my initial yeah, just, thoughts? Yeah, just your opinion on Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump is not necessarily an outsider because Donald Trump is a, a billionaire. And uh, Donald Trump probably perceives the world much differently than a, some of these career politicians, but much differently than most of you who probably can't make enough money to put food on the table in the evening, uh, and, and I'm obviously in that category, too. We're not billionaires. Sure. But when you look at what Donald Trump has said and what some of the things he's done, many people believe Donald Trump to be a racist, uh, believe him to be a sexist, and whether or not any of this is is true, if we want to apply definitions and, and sling dirt, is, is really irrelevant because if you look at the other side of the political spectrum, at someone like Hillary Clinton, she's called black men super predators. Right. She's called... She's called Latinos tacos and called mm -hmm. them needy. Uh, and she's continued the, uh, uh, continued to help cover up the abuse and rape of, uh, her show husband, Bill Clinton, for, for decades now. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. But before I do, do you see any symbolism with Trump? Well, yeah, Trump, to, to finish my thought on, 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 on what Trump really is, it seems to be that Trump is a, is a placeholder. Trump seems to represent what many of us, you and I included, I think, would be we, we would be considered by most like a right wing, perhaps conspiracy theorist. And that and, and obviously I don't think you do. And I definitely don't identify with that at all. Uh, it's a label. It's a form of propaganda to mislead uh, people away from the intention of our actions and our thoughts and our and our comments. I think Trump kind of represents that speaking out against vaccines and climate change as a fraud to make money speaking out against uh, 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 the official version of events on 9-11. He sort of represents that, and so he's put into office, it seems, as a way to placate those people who have, in a cliche way, woken up to the deception 
And in that process, these social engineers, George Soros types that have funded all of these protests, the color revolutions in the mm-hmm. Ukraine, you see these protests going on across the United States now, men and women, young and old alike, uh, that have had canceled, uh, had classes canceled at major universities like Yale and uh, universities like the University of Michigan, and they've been offered coloring books and Play-Doh and hot chocolate and puppy dogs, literally, because they can't psychologically deal with Trump being president-elect, not even being in office yet. And so that's when, true. When, yeah, it's 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 unbelievable. It is. It's outrageous. I mean, you talk about you talk about the world laughing at us when someone someone says that. Oh, that's I know. why people laugh at us. Yeah, I don't think most most Americans understand that fact that we're kind of a laughing stock to the rest of the world out there. Now we have a form of super, artificial superiority applied to our image, it seems, uh, oh, and, and that and that definitely. image is. It goes both ways, whether it's Democrat, Republican, it, and, and these are just terms that don't really mean much of anything. They're just identifications uh, for uh, criticisms or praises, depending on what you associate yourself with. Um, and again, I apologize for my preface and my extended explanation, but Donald Trump seems to be the guy that represents that sect. And so the system is allowing somebody like that to rise to some type of power. I think Donald Trump has decent intentions, truly. But he is being led into a into a, 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 a temple of deception, if you will, where he is going to act as this savior for all of us who who know that there's certain things wrong with corporations and vaccines and 9-11, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And in that process, they have wheeled out the KKK. They have rolled out the white supremacists. They've rolled out uh, the very extreme radical groups that say they support him and People marching on Washington, Heil Trump, literally yelling Heil Trump. And there is not really much perspective for where that's coming from. And, of course, the the real fake news is saying that it's because he's a white supremacist when, if anything, Hillary Clinton's a white supremacist far more than Donald Trump is. So that's my initial thought on Trump. But then to get to the societal issues of of what you just mentioned uh, and what I talked about relating to the schools canceling classes, you, you see that a whole generation is being created, Michael, where Kids are self-important. They feel self-important. They feel as if they are self-entitled to whatever they want, and they believe, and they're being taught in a lot of universities, that free speech is speech for which only can be expressed to the extent to which it does not offend somebody else, and that's not free speech. So when somebody speaks in a public forum or at a school and it offends somebody, that person who's offended says that no longer should free speech be allowed to be free because it offended me. But that that is free speech. So you're creating a generation of people that are dependent upon a political, a social, a corporate system that can't think for themselves, that need constant coddling, which is what you've seen at the universities with the coloring books and literally Play-Doh being offered to adults because they can't deal with Donald Trump. You have a generation of kids who can't really think for themselves. They're completely... And this ties in with everything we've discussed so far. They're completely immersed in this world of technology. They can't communicate with one another. Procreation is not something that's on their mind. There's not even an innate intuitive uh, uh, notion or feeling to procreate. Sex uh, around the world is being seen more and more as perverse, uh, which reminds me of uh, Dr. Richard Day, who spoke in the 1960s, who was a member of Planned Parenthood on the executive board and 
who was funded by the Rockefellers to go around and he gave this speech to a, a group of pediatricians in, uh, I believe it was Pittsburgh in the 1960s, where he talked about a future where there would be sex without reproduction, which is what we're beginning to see now, perverted forms of sex with no uh, realization for what sex is, as the spiritual experience, perhaps for some, as a way to procreate. And there would be, as he said, reproduction without sex, which is what we're now seeing with genetically engineered babies, uh, babies with three parents. Uh, we've seen this for a couple of decades now, but it's now becoming more and more common. So a generation of children, a generation of kids being brought up to believe that this is real, this is creating a new reality. This is creating a reality for which we are being told is a reality that is superior, a reality that is that is going to allow us to experience some form of technological immortality. But we can't speak. We can't communicate. We can't procreate. It seems like a way to control society as opposed to set society free, Michael. Definitely. So, well, to be honest with you, I had no idea that Trump would even even be in contention to even run. I, I thought it, it was all a joke at first, to be honest with you. I'm not going to lie, Ryan. I honestly thought this man would never win. And here he is, the leader of this nation now. And I, I don't, I, I, I have to be honest with you, Ryan. I, I was, I don't have a dog in this fight. I don't, I don't like Trump and I don't like Clinton. I don't really like any of these people. I never really liked any of the King's men, Ryan, to be honest with you. And, um, they were, they were really coloring books, Ryan. Yep. There's a story. You can find it on RT News. There's MSNBC. You can go to my website, thesecretteachings.info. Go to my archive of news at the top. And uh, universities like Yale, uh, University of Michigan, University of Columbia, New York, they were taking classes um, of, of kids that couldn't deal with Trump winning the election and offering them what they called cry-ins, like a set-in, but it's a cry-in where you can go to this room and they'll give you hot chocolate and a box of tissues and other kids they were off, and, and I say kids, these are adults, 20, 30, 40, 50 years old maybe at university, and they're offering them hmm. coloring books. Wow. They offered them Play-Doh, and they offered them puppy dog therapy to deal with the psychological stress. The psychological stress, wow. And and see, that's that psychological stress, what they consider psychological stress, is supposed to be the the um, the oppression of women, the racism, the sexism of Donald Trump, which, uh, once again... They project everything that they are. So as Clinton projected throughout the campaign that Trump was a sexist and a, and a racist and a bigot, that's what she actually is. And she has for many years made comments and her actions speak to those labels and those definitions. For Trump to say something about grabbing a woman because he's successful and they throw themselves at him is much different than Hillary Clinton working in tangent with a sexual predator allowing for the cover-up and the raping of women. And even when she was a lawyer, when she was first starting out in law, uh, uh, being she was a lawyer for a, for a rapist and got a rapist off for raping a little girl and laughed about it in audio recordings. You can listen to it. And none of that, of course, was brought up because they tried to project the image of what they are onto the opponent. And even then, I think Trump gets in the middle of this, doesn't really know what he's involved in, it seems, and he's used as a pawn to promote these ideas of, white supremacy and therefore if you 
pose that Trump is a white supremacist. Therefore, anybody that says vaccines might cause autism or 9-11 might have been the result of an outside influence that wasn't the so-called al-Qaeda, the so-called terrorists, the so-called Muslims. And perhaps uh, we have other problems like climate change being used as a way to make money and to pass draconian laws. So anybody that associates themselves with those thoughts immediately get associated with radicalism, with terrorism, with being a white supremacist, with being anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-whatever. It's an association. It's a psychological operation. It's a silent form of warfare. It's a silent weapon that is applied, that is detonated, that is shot at the general populace. So anybody that associates with these ideas are thus associated with being a racist, a bigot, a sexist, etc., whatever it may be. It's just hard for me to back both Trump or Clinton when it seems like they both have some blood on their hands, per se. Oh, no doubt about it. And, and, and yeah, and don't, don't, don't take my comments uh, uh, about Trump as having somewhat decent intentions. Oh, no, not stupid. at all. Everyone has an opinion. And here on the show, everyone gets a right to say whatever they want. And that's totally cool with me. I, I just think both of these people are, are kind of bad. Both have, I guess, alleged ties to a sex slave island. And I'm sure you know all about that. That is one of the subjects. I'm very glad you brought that up. That mm-hmm. is one of the subjects that I have covered since my first days in radio. Lolita Island. Lo- Lolita Express. Uh, it was Orgy Island. Oh, or Orgy Island. Yeah, it has yeah. many names, it seems. <laughs> many. It, they might refer to it as lo- the Lolita Island. Um, I, I've covered this story for many years. I've written three books, uh, one of them in particular completely about this story. Uh, and when I've when I've researched this and covered it on the show in the past, I have found myself censored. I have found myself removed from radio networks. I was removed from the Art Bell Dark Matter Radio Network for covering this subject. I, I have the original really? emails that I published in my book um, simply for covering this, simply for talking about the pedophilia, for talking about the Vatican, for talking about the child trafficking. Keith didn't like you talking about that, huh? Keith did not like me talking about it. Nope. Art Bell didn't like it either because he, uh, interesting. He, he interesting. responded in the final email. Hmm. You do know he is going to court again, perhaps. Uh, He's for suing Michael Savage. I just, I just heard that as a matter of fact. My friend just mentioned this to me today. Hmm. Well, there is something interesting I have. Well, you know, maybe I shouldn't say that about Keith. Maybe I'll keep quiet about that. I'll just what, say what? he had a heart attack. Many, many moons ago over some, well, I don't exactly know the purpose of this heart attack, but he did have a heart attack. And I won't exactly, um, I won't say things I, I don't know for sure. I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll just go by speculation here and I won't exactly say it on the air. I'll tell you off air exactly what I know or what I've read and I'll just keep it at that. That sounds good. I can, I can tell you a bit of, a bit of what I know too in relationship to your, comments about the uh about the lolita or orgy island and, sure and i uh I, I know that many people would find this hard to believe but when you look at the world through a lens that prevents you from making these connections it's like looking at a connect the dots and you're just focusing on one dot or one puzzle piece as an analogy and you're trying to develop a picture of what's happening it becomes very difficult because you're not looking at the full picture you're not looking at the full image uh, so when you look at Orgy Island, Jeffrey Epstein, the convicted pedophile, sex offender, 
he's got connections to big time celebrities and Hollywood businessmen, media moguls and royalty. Now, he's a wealthy billionaire, so he's probably going to have these connections just like Donald Trump does. Uh, one of his and he has houses all over the world, uh, one in Florida where one of his uh, workers stole his little black book and he tried to sell it to the FBI for fifty thousand dollars. And they got him in an undercover uh, an undercover operation for obstructing justice because he, he wouldn't turn it over until he tried to sell it. So this guy got about 18 months in, in, in prison for trying to sell the book. Jeffrey Epstein got about 18 months and then house arrest for raping children and, and young girls for, for a long time. Uh, and we know this from the court documents that came out where they talked about how Epstein would have his minions, per se, bring in one, two, maybe three girls per day to be raped or to be sexually molested in some capacity at his island compound. Now, if you were to just isolate Jeffrey Epstein and say, well, this guy's a real piece of work and it's right. just disgusting. Okay. And even if you were to look at some of his connections, you'd say, well, he was wealthy. He had these connections. But then you look at Prince Andrew, Prince Andrew and Virginia Roberts. He supposedly uh, raped her on several occasions. And then that connects you to the royal family. And then you look at the royal family in London. I don't even like to call them the royal family. Neither the do Sachs, I. Right. The Saxe-Coburg-Gotha German family that changed their name during the First World War. And uh, you look at Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, or excuse me, not Jeffrey Epstein. That's uh, Jimmy Savile. And you look at Jimmy Savile, who, who was a, a TV personality, who was so friendly with the royal family that he was allowed without security to wander through their palaces. He could do, go to any of their palaces, stay there, do whatever he wanted. He was best friends with Prince Charles. Why would Prince Charles alone be associating with a, at the time, known child abuser, a known child molester who was raping women and kids in the bowels of hospitals and children's homes where he had access for altruistic purposes. Then you connect back to Epstein through Prince Andrew, and you say, why would President Bill Clinton be going to this island after it came out and it was well known that this guy was raping young girls at this compound? And then you find connections in the little black book that was taken, where you find not only was Bill Clinton on the list, but you find other celebrities like Alec Baldwin, Mick Jagger, and then Donald Trump was on that list as well as you mentioned a few minutes ago. And if you look at uh, one of the court uh, proceedings, it was actually uh, Epstein's brother who said that Trump flew in the Lolita Express, Epstein's private jet, at least one time. Now, on this jet is where they used, they have a bed on the jet where they would rape young women. Now, Donald Trump has his own has his own plane. You'd, you'd suspect that he probably would fly there on his own or He'd have some other method of getting to the island rather than taking the private jet, which was strictly used for catering to wealthy elitists for sexual pleasures. Donald Trump flew on that plane. I did a couple of shows about this before the uh, before the election where I addressed this subject. And it's something that continues to need to be uh, addressed and talked about, especially in relationship to the Podesta emails and what happened right before the election with the leaks from WikiLeaks. But we need to draw a line. We need to draw a uh, a barrier between what we know and these connections. And now what you have mentioned earlier about fake news. And, Correct. And we call Pizzagate because Pizzagate, Pizzagate yeah. is a psyop, I believe. Yeah, I, let, let's talk a little bit about that. 
And allegedly a man had went into that pizzeria in Washington with an assault rifle recently. Yeah, just in the last few days. Isn't that wild? He goes in with an AR-15 and he, he asked to uh, basically free the children that were kept as sex slaves. So they call this a response to fake news. They say that this guy was reading fake news reports and that led him to this pizza, the Comet Pizza where he was concerned about child sex networks and Hillary Clinton. Right. So the mainstream is reporting that 4chan started all this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And there, if you follow the history of this back far enough, you, you find connections. If we looked at some of these emails through Podesta and the Clinton campaign, uh, you find one of them in particular that refers to a guy named Denny Hastert. And Denny Hastert is the former Speaker of the House, longest-running Republican Speaker, who was essentially blackmailed into that position. And for those who don't know, Speaker of the House is second in line to become president, so right behind the vice president. And this man was accused and convicted of molesting children when he was a just in, in a very similar position to Sandusky at Penn State. He was a wrestling coach, and he used to, he used to literally molest boys in the locker room. Yeah, that's horrible, by the way. Former Speaker of the House, Michael. I mean, this is about as high up as you can get in American politics, blackmailed into that position. And, and, and so it becomes necessary to recognize there's different levels to this. There's those that are that are truly weak and have an addiction to children. It's a very small percentage. You have another level that get most of their kicks, if you will, from abusing those who don't have the ability to defend themselves. Yeah, this is a, a socio-psychopath. It's a power thing for sure. Absolutely. A very, a very well said. It's a power thing. And then on the next level, you have those that really don't care about that. They care about money and lots of money. And you can make billions of dollars as the Catholic Church has just in the, in the last few years alone, trafficking children that's, around the that's world. That's what they do. And by the way, you also forgot to mention Mr. Anthony Weiner. Of course, Anthony Weiner. Yeah. And that's the reason the FBI reopened the investigation, at least officially, was because of the connection to the Clinton emails through his computer and through uh, the top aide, Uma Abedin. Did you hear how he's so desperate for work now? He's been oh, looking, really? he's been looking for uh, or he's been dialing up friends for work in the in the in, in the restaurant industry, rather. Oh, really? I, I didn't hear about that. Maybe he could contact uh George Bush, the father, and he could help him out with uh, the, the, that old 1989 Washington news story about gay prostitutes in the uh, White House. Maybe uh, he, he could hook him up with a job, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, my. Yes. Anthony Weiner. What what a piece of work. And uh, of course, Anthony Weiner, you know, is, is the, hu the show husband, as I say, of Uma Abedin, who mm. is a reported lover of Hillary Clinton. And then you look at John Podesta, the campaign chair. Uh, and I mean, the, when you look at the actual emails uh, that were released, and there's thousands of them, so I, I haven't gone through the the full lot. But I've, I've seen a few. Yeah, there, there's a handful. Mm -hmm. There's some interesting things in there. There, there absolutely is. There's one where they're talking about dragging kids to this pool party, uh, where the kids are going to be the entertainment. So that's very suspicious. You find others. Uh, where they're admitted friends with Dennis Hastert, and, and and this is after he was convicted, and they're talking about how they miss him and they want to bring him back into the mix. And uh, you find Washington, uh, there's a Washington Post story from 2004 that was pulled, but it's in the archive now. And you look this up about John Podesta's brother, Tony, and they've got naked photographs or photographs of naked children hanging up in their home. 
and and there does begin to be pieced together a story that is a bit more than what we see on the surface. And so here's how I see it, Michael. We have what we call fake news that distributes this idea that these emails are simply the result of classified information being handled improperly, and that's what the email scandal with Hillary Clinton is all about. So that was that was the story for months and months and months. Then when you see the WikiLeaks release, most people are still recalling, yes, it was classified information, but they said at the FBI that she did nothing wrong, so it's not a big deal. Forget about it. Stop talking about it. It doesn't matter. Well, even if that didn't matter, that's not the email scandal. Now we're talking about additional thousands of emails that have been released through WikiLeaks that show a possible connection to child trafficking, sex slavery, and again, the, the, the whole lineup of everything we've talked about tonight. And so if you go a little bit deep into these into these emails, you do find a, a, a bit of bizarre terminology and weird references to hot dog parties and hamburgers. But mm-hmm. that's pretty weird, too. It is. And, and, and it is true that because this is part of what I've studied for years. When you look back into the history of human sacrifice, most human sacrifice was not performed by Egyptians and the Mayans. At the peak of their civilization, human sacrifice wasn't practiced until the downfall of civilization. Uh, in fact, in the Mayan culture, they had a 500 year time span, one of the, the records for world peace, if you will, where they did. I guess it wasn't world peace, but at least on the continent, on the Yucatan uh, and that area in, in, in Central America, where they had this peace. There was no war. They, they gave offerings of fruit and uh, flowers to their gods. And it was only when. Um, the conquistadors came and the civilization began to decline that human sacrifice was offered. And we find the same thing in Egypt and many other cultures across across the world, because these people believe it gives them some type of of power. And so if you apply that that basic knowledge to what we see in the emails, we understand that there are code words used. For example, the code word virgin in, in most movies is typically meant to signify a woman in white robes, perhaps under the age of 18, who has never had sex, and then she is sacrificed on a black stone altar. That's not what virgin means. In one way it does, but most of the time the word virgin is used as a code word to imply a child. So we understand and we know that code words are used. But then you had this, and this is the Pizzagate, you had this spilling of information that supposedly showed all of this so-called evidence that there were these pizza restaurants connected with child trafficking and underground sex networks and slaves, et cetera, et cetera, but really based on no foundation of fact, no foundation of what we talked about with Dennis Hastert or with Jimmy Saville or with Jeffrey Epstein. It was based on pure speculation. And so the media, the mainstream media, has promoted this. They have picked the story up and said that this is what fake news is really all about. So they've been able to associate the speculation with the facts and the connected evidence of what we've already discussed this evening with the the, the, the falsehoods. It's, it's kind of like a half-truth where the part of the truth that's relevant gets associated with the information that's obviously planted to disassociate the truth with reality. And that's what is happening, I believe, with hashtag Pizzagate and hashtag fake news. These are psychological operations meant to deter the public's view and opinion. And when you see this guy go from the Carolinas, he drives up to Washington, goes into this pizza restaurant with an AR-15, and he opens fire, says he's going to free the kids. That gives a bad image to the people like myself and like you 
who otherwise are looking objectively at this information and we're not screaming about pizza restaurants every night to get hits on YouTube or right. hits on our website. And it, just like Donald Trump and the white supremacist, means that anybody who's against vaccines or has a question about them, anybody having a question about 9-11, anybody that has a question about these child trafficking networks, they're associated with white supremacy. They're associated with nut jobs, with AR-15s that go into family restaurants and open fire. It's a psychological psyop. It's a psyop, a psychological operation, Michael. At least that's what I think. I think you might be right on that. Everyone seems to appear to have an agenda. It's like, who can we really trust? That's I, right. An agenda for uh, for all, all, all types of different purposes. It could be for image or it could simply be for money. Yeah, we live in a new day, a new age. And with all the upheavals around the world in politics, society, and culture, are we currently watching the unraveling of the Matrix illusion? Or are we watching it shift and rebuild itself, Ryan. I would say shift. I think we're seeing a shift. Uh, going back to what we were talking about transhumanism, uh-huh. talking about that singularity, that point in which technology or artificial intelligence reaches a point for which we have this fundamental change in society, a fundamental shift in the paradigm of how we perceive reality. We've seen that through the smart technology, but now more and more we're seeing that through the release of information about things that were kept relatively secret for so many years. And, and, and I mean that in the case of let's look at the let's look at the pedophilia. Let's look at the child trafficking. Mm-hmm. It, it's well it's relatively well known. I mean, to the extent that most comedians on, you know, a, a TV show or even a stand up comedy in your local uh, local city, local town, wherever you may be, they make jokes about the Vatican and and, and about pedophile priests i mean it's everywhere it's it's well known but more and more now it's becoming so well known where it's not just a joke it's reality uh with especially the movie spotlight that came out a a year or so ago that won the uh uh, award for best picture and that was entirely about the cover-up of abuse within the church and that's just within the church so when you start to look at this uh revealing of information it shifts our paradigm and as it's beginning to shift our paradigm There have to be ways that the system, corporate America, uh, corporate global government, if you will, whatever you want to apply as a terminology to this to this subject, to these people, globalists, technocrats, whatever word you want to use, are finding a way to shift the focus from those that are possibly concerned and want to want to help those kids stuck in the pizza restaurant to false information that will deter their uh, their willingness to fight and battle back against that which enslaves them. And I'll give you a really good example of this. You look back at to, uh, you look back into like the 1960s. You think about Woodstock or you think about music festivals and LSD. Right. A great, a great deal of that was promoted and LSD was even handed out by the Central Intelligence Agency. It was a way to deter people's uh, dis and mistrust in government. And their attention to to uh, the Vietnam War in particular at a, at a specific time frame where they were where people were protesting. It was anti-war, anti-government. And so you were able to co-opt that and turn it into sex, drugs and music, entertainment, numbing yourself and not paying attention to what's yeah. going on. And, and we're seeing, I think, the same thing happening now. I'm glad that you brought that up because. I, I use Timothy Leary's turn on, tune in and drop out in, in the opening <laughs> of my show. So that's kind of a big thing here. So I think you're right. I, I think what you're saying is 
pretty much exactly some of the, the same things that I feel and think myself. Well, that's that's exactly right. That is exactly what's happening, I believe. And uh, I think we can find a lot of evidence for what we're saying. In fact, I know I because I have a great deal of evidence for what I'm saying, and I'm sure you do as well, especially if you're agreeing with what I'm saying. Sure. And for, for those that think that this would otherwise be um, this would be incorrect or erroneous, it's a false statement, it's misleading to talk about these subjects. I would ask many of those people to provide me evidence for or against what I'm saying and to suggest that what I'm saying is wrong through evidence. And most people can't provide that evidence because all they're doing, whether they're doing it through uh, through the intention of their paradigm and they don't want that paradigm to be affected, it's a fight or flight response and they're fighting back with aggression or they're actually paid sock puppets on social media sites to deter uh, dissent, what you typically find at least from my experience, is the attitude is one where they are just trying to implant a seed of doubt. So you doubt yourself. Indeed. So you doubt. And, and Ryan, we are kind of coming to a close here, but there are a few things that I did want to cover before we end the interview. And one sure. of those was, of course, your, your show, your radio show. Um, what exactly influenced you to create your show to begin with? Well, in the intro, we talked a bit about my background and how I got into radio through a friend of mine, and uh, he eventually passed away, and I formulated the show into what it is now. But in terms of getting interested in radio... Were you uh, always like a fan of radio? Were you listening to shows before you got into this? Yeah, and, and, and I wasn't. I was not really a big fan of radio. I was more into television, and uh, I did used to listen to Art Bell as a kid, and I, I used to listen to Coast to Coast occasionally, but it was nothing... It was nothing in too much detail. I didn't have too much nothing, concern or yeah, interest. Nothing that would actually motivate you to do it yourself, in other words. that That's right. Nothing really to motivate me to do it myself. I hear you. And um, another thing I did want to mention was, of course, your books. Um, you have three books, correct? Yes, I have three published, and I have a fourth on the way. Okay, where can people find those books? They can find the books on barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, pretty much anywhere books are sold around the world. The easiest way to find them with reviews, photographs, and more is my website, www.thesecretteachings.info. The books are The Grand Illusion, False Prophets, and The Persistent Illusion. Nice. And what exactly is the process for putting, I guess, a plethora of ideas together to create a book with a common theme? In a sense, yes. Uh, the Grand Illusion and The Persistent Illusion are my biggest books. They are both about 900-plus pages, uh, and they deal with the the idea, the question of who controls the world, uh, how this can be done. Uh, it explores the hidden history of mankind through religious texts, ancient artifacts, uh, the rewriting of science and history, the nature of reality, and The Persistent Illusion just carries that theme on, going into more detail and talking about, in specific, uh, essentially this, as we talked about tonight a bit, this practice of transhumanism, uh, genocide, the stripping of willpower from humanity, uh, what I call the global transhumanist eugenics agenda. And, uh, then that of course plays into my fourth book, which is a separate independent book that is strictly about technology transhumanism. It's called the technological elixir. That'll be out sometime in 2017, and also my False Prophets book is a book, a relatively short book, 300 pages, that strictly talks about the uh, trafficking of children, the Vatican, and things of that nature. Very, very cool. So, Ryan, it was an honor to talk to you finally. I've been looking forward to this for a while now, and 
we finally got to it. Well, it's been an honor to talk to you too, Michael. I appreciate you having me on the program and uh, being so courteous and kind. And I uh, I look forward to uh, talking to you again in the future and maybe doing some other work with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, no doubt. I'll have to bring you back on if um, I'm able to get that conversation going with um, therealsexdoll.com. <laughs> maybe they'll provide you with an artificial form of intelligence that, that you'll be talking to. You won't even know it. Perhaps. Or maybe they'll just send me a doll. Yeah, maybe they'll just send you a doll to test. And I'll just talk to it. Oh, <laughs> Through live, uh, through a live video here. See That's how that right. goes. <laughs> so Ryan, once again, thank you for being here. It's been a true honor and, and a blast to finally talk to you. And of course, we'll have to touch base in the near future. Sounds good, Michael. You have a good evening and we will talk to you later as well. For sure. Mahalo. Take care, Ryan. Namaste. Bye bye. And that, my friends, was Ryan Gable. What a great guest I had. A very great, great time talking to Mr. Ryan Gable. Of course, you can go find him at thesecretteachings.info, I believe is the name of the website. And of course, I'll be here again next Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, live on the TuneIn Radio app. And of course, if you missed this interview or if you're just catching up with us right now, I'll have the replay up pretty soon. Don't worry. You can find it on YouTube or go back to endofdaysradio.org or endofdaysmichael.org. It'll take you to the same place. So same time, same bat channel next Saturday, this Saturday approaching. I'll be talking to Michael Cremo, another fantastic guest. So don't go anywhere. We'll definitely be back here on Saturday. Don't worry. I'll be back live and in your head again. So, endofdaysradio.org. Make sure you bookmark that. And make sure you go to our Facebook page, End of Days Radio. Of course, I already mentioned YouTube. Click subscribe if you haven't already. And of course, I'll be working on the whole iTunes thing soon. Don't worry. I had to deal with lots of hurdles this week, and I'll continue to do so, but... Eventually, I'll get that up, folks. Don't worry. So bear with me. It's a work in progress. I love you all. Thank you for listening once again. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. Sherry. Right in the hardest part now. I'm not that way. I'm a Christian. Oh, my. Yeah. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. Like, you can just see it. It's clear. <laughs> How appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holden right now. It's crazy. I had no idea they should exist before 726. Oh, Granny. I like Granny. I'm going to keep you real. A lot of good content. A lot of, a lot of cool topics. You know, I, yeah, I feel, you know, fortunate to have an opportunity to speak to you guys tonight. Yeah, you guys are really Yeah, Mr. Rusev. That son of a bitch. I, I like that, man. It, it's the simplest shit. You go in there, you see the bud, and then you say, what the fuck do you have in your pocket? What the fuck are you going to be smoking time about midnight? That's what I want.
just for what it's worth, I want to put in my two cents to tell you both that you have Probably one of the most incredibly well-rounded shows. the greatest tag team on the radio. Guess what, motherfuckers?